Views expressed by Casters Guild members are only the opinions of that member, and that could change from day to day. Guild members may use mature language, but that in no way means they are mature. Listener discretion is advised. It's Thursday night, and you've got your dice, and your best friends are on their way. Assuming you aren't in quarantine, in which case you're getting the video chat ready. Either way, it's your favorite time of the week. It's time to roleplay. And that's the spell we're casting tonight on Caster's Guild. Thank you for tuning in to tonight's episode of Caster's Guild. I'm Rick Perry, Guildmaster and Forever DM to the Stars. And I am Baron Kane, Guildmaster and Forever DM to Richard Perry. <laughs> and tonight, in case you haven't guessed, we're talking about tabletop RPGs. Which which are generally not D&D. We have to throw that caveat in there. Sure. Um, we and We've already talked about D&D, but we want to cover... Okay, I was going to say all the other games that aren't D&D, but... <laughs> That'll never cool. happen. It'll never happen. We, no. could talk, we could talk for the rest of our lives nonstop, and like that would never yeah. Ever, oh, yeah, because happen. while we were talking about them, they would release more. Uh-huh. Good. I want... I've talked about this before, but the best thing about geekdom becoming mainstream is all the badass shit that's coming <laughs> out with it. Now, I will say, I'm not going to promise we won't touch on D&D, because that's kind of the, the curse of the tabletop role player, is you end up playing a lot of D&D no matter what. But the, so, point, but the point is... is we're, we're going, going to, try to try to focus. We're going to shine a light on some, some of the other games that we like. So let's just go ahead and start with one of our usual questions, and say, other than D&D, what is your favorite tabletop role-playing game? That's, uh... Uh, I will say that's that's tough because my favorite I'll say if we're going to narrow it down the game I will say Werewolf the Apocalypse. Werewolf the Apocalypse is is my favorite. Wow, I may even like it better in D&D. But that said, I also like just White Wolf. Sure. The White Wolf the White Wolf D10 system not of a, darkness in general. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of the new world of darkness stuff, but man, they did something right with Changeling in the new world of darkness. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's beautiful. Also, Scion, love Scion, love it. Didn't get to play Aberrant too terribly much, but it was still good. It was still good. But yeah, I've heard good things about the new vampire system. I haven't had a chance to play it. Uh, my yeah, wife that would and be, I have yeah, talked the new about world of darkness. I can't remember the name of the system that it was. Um, the system itself isn't hateful. I don't hate the system. But I, I wish that they would have come up with new games for the new system instead of taking all the old stuff, changing the world completely, and turning it into something else. Sure. Or even did a After the Apocalypse. Right. Maybe, you know what I mean? Gave the same lore that they used to have and made it something new. I don't have a problem with that either. But them just being like, oh, we're going to rewrite everything. Reboot. Yeah. It's like, there's a lot of lore. A lot of lore that you're just ignoring now. Now, I will say there's a lot of problematic shit that they got to erase out of their history. That after they, it. yeah. Um, but Which might have been the, the right. goal in the first place. But at the same time, just, again, sequel. Don't acknowledge that shit. Move on. 
or yeah. even just even in the book, hey, this shit right here that we had, it's gone now because it's problematic. We're mm -hmm. not doing that anymore. We had yeah. a whole book with a uh, derogatory term for Romani people, and that was the name of the book. <laughs> but mm -hmm. we're, we're going to ignore that now. Cool. That's all I had to do. They yeah. even switched. They even switched hands um, in terms of ownership. So, yeah, these these new people, while I'm sure they have, they may have blood on their hands from something else. They have at least come sure. into a, they've at least come into a property that they could just ex, just be like, look, we bought this property because we saw potential, but we're going to go ahead and just delete this shit because it's problematic. That's all you have to do. Nope. There's also I've talked to a lot of fans. Uh, this is kind of a tangent here. I've talked to a lot of fans of White Wolf mm -hmm. um, in general who have their own lore in their minds for White Wolf and oh, yeah. like, their own way the system works. Oh, yeah. Because like they like half read the books and then just started playing the game and like they've had like long running campaigns and then they go back and read the book and be like, that's not what I remember. Now, um, now so let me tell for, you what you said there before yeah. you go on. I don't trust anybody that has read any book, any role-playing book, front to back, and remembers everything. <laughs> I don't trust you. You're not welcome in my bar. Okay, move on. <laughs> so, perhaps these new owners of White Wolf were one of those gaming groups who had established their own lore and their own way of playing the game. And when they got their hands on it, they were like, wait a minute, this isn't how we remember it. And they just rewrote it how they how they played it. You know what? If that's what happened, I have a I have a new respect for the new world of darkness and I may appreciate it way more. But yeah. And, and also I want to have a conversation with the people who thought what they were doing was the actual lore from the original Changeling game and wrote the new Changeling game, because oh, Wow, they could not be any more different. <laughs> but yeah, oh, probably that, that. I mean, I could, I could totally see that. I could totally see that on a few different games that have come out with new additions. Like I wonder, yeah. like again, I said I wasn't going to touch on D and D, but I wonder how many times they did D and D in the new additions, and like they were like, "Oh, look, look!" In my game, we don't do Thacko, so let's just do it this way. This yeah. is our house rule. This is how we do it. Like I wonder that hundred percent has to be it. Like, <laughs> like that's that's play testing in its purest form. You get somebody who's like play testing a, or not even play testing. They're playing a current edition of the game. Yep. They find out something isn't working. They come up with their own house rule. The house rule ends up working way better. Like that's that's play testing right there. Mm -hmm. They're play testing that house rule for that entire campaign. Yep. They very well could be. Speaking of. I want to I want to do a uh, cleric sorcerer like you use all the sorcerer rules except you mm -hmm. get to choose from the cleric spe uh, cleric spell list. I think that might exist. Well, guess what? It definitely does now because I'm that that's what I want to do, and I'm like, inspired. I, I, I want to do it like a uh, Final Fantasy is what I'm what I'm wanting to do. I believe it's called the Divine Soul Sorcerer. Do they get to choose from the cleric though? I. If they don't get to choose from the cleric spell list, I think it's a very similar list. Like, I know they, they get a bunch of divine spells, which is oh, what okay, cool. you're really talking about when it comes to clerics anyway. You're talking about, like, the healing words and the spiritual weapons and the right, 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 right. righteous flame or whatever that thing is called. But, yeah, I'm pretty sure they do. 
Nice. If they don't, then there's some unearthed arcana or household book somewhere that they that they do. Gotcha. I'm looking at. But anyway, yeah, that'd be really cool. I mean, that's taken some straight up JRPG flavor and injecting it into your oh, yeah. tabletop game. I mean, I'm big Final Fantasy One fan. I love the the white mage, black mage, red mage. Mm-hmm. Which you know, it's just supposed to be a wizard, a cleric, and a bard. That's all. Right. <laughs> you know, that's what that's what it is. Right. Let's be real. Um, but yeah. Which is so blatantly that it makes me wonder why they didn't call it that. You know what it was? It, it was. I want to know what the original Japanese words for those classes were, mm. and then see how they decided that they would translate it when it came over here. It that's probably it. And then like when it got to the English localization team, they were probably like, that guy's wearing red clothes and that guy's wearing <laughs> white clothes. So that's a red mage and that's a white mage. <laughs> oh, that this one's using healing magic. So he's obviously a, a white mage and, and yeah. this is a black mage because it's about destruction and this one's wearing red. And it makes, also <laughs> makes me wonder if maybe that was a point when they didn't want to say the words priest or cleric in a game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So now I want to look it up, but see, and and again, this is this is why I like uh, I, I I like our discussions like this because we're allowed to be ignorant of things. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, could you imagine if we were professionals and like we had uh, fact checkers all the time? We had to be oh, right all of the time. Oh my God! Oh, Thank God no. no one listens to these. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, back to the original question. Oh, yeah, yeah, there was a question. I'm, I'm going to say my favorite uh, tabletop game outside of, well, tabletop role-playing game outside of D&D is Dread, which I don't think you've had a chance to play yet. The Judge Dread? No. Oh. Oh. <laughs> oh. I have a story about that, but go ahead. So Dread is a horror game. And it's not played with dice. It's played with a Jenga tower. Oh, yeah. You told me about this. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, you pick, like, something you'd find in a horror movie. Like, the first time I ever played it, it was, a, like, a, a Cabin in the Woods-style slasher flick, right? And people don't fill out character sheets. You give them character questionnaires. So, like, it'll say, <laughs> you were always known as the jock in high school. What sport did you play and why? What did the doctor say about you missing hours at a time from your day? What is the special bond you have with your twin sister? Like you just, when you're doing your character questionnaires, there are certain things that are assumed about the character, like facts that are assumed about the character. And then the player gets to fill in how that character feels about it or little details, or they flesh out the character. And the questionnaire kind of forces them to do that. So like the character basics, which for a lot of new, I like one because it teaches new players how to flesh out a character because a lot of new players, they'll, they only build the basics and then you're like, okay, well, this is how you kind of turn it and into you a got too many people that just focus on the numbers. Right. And right. dread does the opposite. It's like, we've given you the basics of your character now let's flesh it out, right? Yes, that's all. And then there there are no numbers. It's basically what it comes down to, you're telling a story together, and if your character goes to do something that they don't excel in. So if you're nursing, you're trying to bandage a wound, of course you get to do that at no penalty. It just kind of happens. You just go, I bandage this wound. 
But if you're that same example I gave earlier, you're the high school jock and you try to bandage a wound or something like that, then you have to make a pull from the tower. Okay, yeah. And so over time, the tower becomes more and more precarious. So there is literally a physical manifestation of growing dread in the center of the table between everyone who's playing. And your storyteller can say, okay, well, then give me a pull for that action. Or the storyteller might say, oh, you got to pull two in order to do that. Or you got to pull three in order to do that. Okay. And it's standard Jenga rules. So, you know, you can only use one hand. It's got to, it can't be from the top three rows, you know, standard Jenga rules. Now, there are other things you can do as a character. For example, you can push over the tower instead of pulling. And if you choose to push over the tower, then whatever you do, you do succeed at. Whatever it was you were trying to do, you succeed at, but you also die. You sacrifice yourself. Mm -hmm. So, like, if you were trying to protect someone else, you could push over the tower and you do successfully protect them, but your okay. character is now dead. And that's what happens anytime the tower falls is someone dies. So whoever touched the tower last dies. Got it. So, and essentially you play the game until there's only, well, until the story's done. But for your standard horror fair, that's going to be one or no people left. You know what I mean? You have your final survivor, your classic horror final girl or whatever, or nobody survives. Because, you know, sometimes horror works that horror works that way. Right. And when I played mine, the way I told my story, it's actually one of the stories that's in the back of the book, if you get Dread, which is, you can get, as I think it's like a $5 PDF, by the way. If you just ch go check out their website, you pay five sure. bucks, you get the PDF, I think. But one of the stories in the back was the Cabin in the Woods slasher film that I played. And... The way it played, one of the players at the table was the killer, but none of them knew who it was, even the killer. Okay. So All we right. got to a point in the story where it was going to decide who the killer was, and basically I had the two players who had gone off alone into the woods pull until one of them died. <laughs> That's and good. the one who was left over they were now the killer like they killed the other player and they were now the killer and they had to play out the rest of the game as the killer and so it came down to it like later on i think when we found the killer there were like four people left in the game so then the killer killed one of them so it was the killer and two more people and then at the very very end it was down to the killer and one more person and that one person ended up killing the killer. So that was like the end of the movie. You know what I mean? They managed to take out Jason or whatever. Gotcha. Gotcha. And then, you know, if you tell, depending on how you want to tell the story, you can be like, did they? You know what I mean? Like, you know, yeah, it, that sort of thing. But it was a very, very fun game. It led to a lot of tense moments, like the, the killer versus... Like, when we were trying to figure out the killer, the moment where we figured out who the killer was, was the most intense game of Jenga I'd ever seen played in my entire life. Like, I was sure that tower was going to fall over on the next pull. Fifteen pulls later, they were still playing. And I was, it was insanity. You'd have to see it in order to know just how crazy it was. But yeah, it leads to a lot of really cool moments like that. We even did have a moment where somebody pushed over the tower because they wanted to protect somebody else. 
And it was before we even knew who the killer was. And mm -hmm. so it, it led to that heroic sacrifice moment. So if you're trying to tell a really good horror story, it just lends itself really well to that. Nice, nice, nice. So I, I do have to say that I, I kind of like the idea of maybe like throughout the entire game, let people role play. But then like as soon as two of them walk off, be like, okay, now do the thing. Mm -hmm. And like they, they draw... And then, like, in the very end, the one person that's still left, it's like, well, you were the killer the whole time. And then, just, yep. but then as the DM or DM, as the game master, you've taken notes throughout the whole game and be like, okay, well, this person died here. And then you have to go back and explain mm -hmm. how, like, that person, like, these two people walked off this way. You have to explain how this person who was nowhere near them killed them. So, well, yeah, that, that would be a fun fun exercise for the person running the game. Lucky for me, the person who ended up being the killer was someone who kept going off by themselves anyway. So it was really easy to tie it back. So it was like, oh, you remember when you went off by yourself to check out the garage? Oh, that's when you snuck out the back of the garage to the shed and took out this person. Or do you remember when you went off by yourself to check out the, the boathouse? Well, that's when you snuck upstairs and you took out this person. Right. You know. Well, and then and then you could even be uh, they'd be like, "Well, I couldn't have because I was with that person when that happened." Yeah, but that trap that you set. Yep. Mhm. Mm because obviously you set traps to kill everybody. Right. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, that'd be that and that's something that a lot of people don't get to to fuck with is the DM GM storyteller, they usually have stuff set up beforehand. Mhm. Mm and then they're they're letting the story play out. You don't really have a lot of instances where the storyteller gets to play with what the characters have given them and come up with the whole story with the, with the story that they laid out. And with or Dread, you have to. The only thing you can set up with Dread is like certain tent poles, like certain things that you like story beats that like have to be hit. And other than that. It is 100% whatever the players come up with, and you have to work on the fly with that. And I think the coolest part about it, actually, is the thing that I like about it the most. I know I've been like, oh, I like this, I like this, I like this. But with a lot of tabletop RPGs, if you try to run horror, nobody's ever really scared. Like, if you're playing D&D &D and you throw a bunch of zombies or, or skeletons at somebody, like, nobody's ever actually scared playing a tabletop role-playing game. But with Dread... When you're describing the situation as a perilous situation, a scary situation, and then I say, okay, now make two pulls from the tower. Like, people legitimately feel some form of fear because they know that that tower could fall. And, like, depend and like that sense of fear grows and grows and grows as the game goes on because that tower gets more and more likely to fall. And right. people actually get the chance to feel... And it's not like genuine fear or anything like that, but it's a very similar fear to the fear that you feel when you're watching a scary movie. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I've never experienced that with any other tabletop role-playing game. Gotcha. And being able to, just the way the mechanics lend themselves to actually being able to feel like you're playing in a horror movie. Right, yeah. A lot of times you have to rely on the person telling the story to be able to experience that. Uh, you mm -hmm. know, I felt legit fear playing Call, the C Call of Cthulhu, hell, even D&D. &D. But again, mm -hmm. that all relies on the person running the game. 
-hmm. So it's cool to have mechanics that lend itself to that. It's always good when the storytelling and the mechanics link up. Mm -hmm. Now, I will say that this made me think of one of the first games. Well, no, not one of the first. This will be the first installment of games I've heard about or have, but have not gotten to play and or will never get to play Sad Times. Um, <laughs> which will be the majority of this podcast. Which will be the majority of this podcast. Uh, it's called Blades in the Dark. I've, I've heard of this. Heard of it. Okay, good. Mm -hmm. So it is... Let's see if I can get a, uh, a publisher here. Uh, I'll keep looking for the publisher. Game designer is John Harper. I don't, I don't know if that's the publisher. But anyways, so this game is you're playing in like a fantasy or a medieval times kind of setting and you are thieves or assassins or people who operate in the dark, people who run in the shadows. <gasps> Wait a minute. That made me think of another game that I'm going to bring up during the course of this podcast. Anyways, the, and, and it sounds cool and it's something, I mean, come on, we've all thought about, you know, playing in D and D a whole group of scoundrels, mm -hmm. you know, assassins, thieves, bards, human fighters, you get it. Mm -hmm. But the core mechanic of this is, well, let's see. The, the the core mechanic that this... Oh, and I think it's Evil Hat Productions, by the way. Um, mm -hmm. A robust core mechanic which puts the fiction first. The strength of a character's position uh, matters just as much as a character's ability scores. So, a lot of this is... So, a lot of this is set up on the fly. From what I understand, I want... Again, keep in mind, I've never played this game. However... Mm -hmm. Like, a lot of this is set up on the fly, so, like, while you're playing, you, you're trying to sneak into this into this building, and let's just say, you know, you're like, well, I scouted this area out before, and I noticed that there was a back window that was unlocked. Okay, roll for it. Mm -hmm. And then you roll, and if, if, you, if you make it, then yeah, yeah, that window's unlocked, or if you fail, um, yeah, you scouted it out, but they must have remembered to lock it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And, and just just that idea is great. One, it takes a lot of fucking pressure off of the person running the game. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Being someone who is experienced, or, or I'm sorry, who has experienced running a game with a heist in it. Oh, man. Let me tell you, <laughs> this sounds way less stressful. <laughs> and, uh, and just the idea of it. I, I love the idea you, you could you could run this game as just successive one shots mm -hmm. you know you're you're working for a thieves guild assassin's guild whatever and you start the game and you're like okay well uh this week you guys uh get a job that you know you have to uh go kill this high official who's you know crooked and who's you know ruining the city so all right there's there's your task and then you go through that. Maybe you get some awards and stuff like that. But it, it doesn't have to be a storyline at all. Because right. you're people doing a job. And that's... You just got hired. That's all the story you need. Yep. Yep. And that, that takes a lot of pressure off, too. That takes a lot of pressure mm -hmm. off the person running the game. That takes a lot of pressure off the people playing the game. And then if you want there to be an ongoing storyline, so be it. One develops as you play. You start out the game as people just doing a job. Maybe you start meeting some NPCs. Maybe mm -hmm. you start, you know, doing some downtime stuff. 
this game looks like it has it could be a lot of fun and with a with the right encouragement from any of the members in my gaming group and i mean any one of them i would be tempted to buy this game and run it for them i've heard this game played before any um, one of them <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've heard this go game ahead, played ahead. before, but it wasn't fantasy medieval. Um, it was like 1800s London. Oh, that's fun too, though. Yeah, like like the Cockney London gang, like you know, like the I like the, you, the fucking oh, what? Oh, you know what? It's not Victorian. It's not Victorian London, but you immediately made me think of the. Oh man, I can't remember the the Peaky Blinders. That's it. <laughs> yes, yes, that's exactly it. Like, think, like, Clockwork Orange, think, like, um, there's a, a Assassin's Creed that came out not long ago that, like, was, like, oh, a Dishonored London. Too. Yeah, Dishonored's another good one. Mm -hmm. um, and then, like, there was an Assassin's Creed that came out that, like, you played, like, a gang in London and, yeah, like, that whole thing. Like, that's now, the era they played it in, but they used the same game and the same mechanics. If I was so, running, it would probably be a a fantasy kind of setting. Sure. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, let's face it, I, I know at least one of us will want to play a cat person. Yeah, yeah. Just... If not four of us. <laughs> Just a bunch of cat burglars. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But going based off of games I've heard played, I'll tell you one I'd really like to play was Delta Green. Okay, which... tell me about it. Delta Green is a Cthulhu Mythos game. Like it's like it, it is a Cthulhu game. This but is really familiar now. Delta Green, you are like highly trained operatives, like like a special forces who are sent to deal with paranormal events. So you deal with like Cthulhu Eldridge type stuff. Like that's your job. But you're still a human. So, like, a lot of the downfalls you have when playing a Cthulhu game still apply to you. Like, you might be a highly trained special, special forces individual, but, like, when you see some eldritch shit, you still have a chance of going completely balls-out insane. Yeah. Yep. But the cool thing is, depending on what the situation is, you could still like call down from headquarters and get yourself some body armor and some guns and like you know it's it's modern times mm -hmm. so like you can outfit yourself and so it's never your job to let's say kill cthulhu cuz obviously you're not going to right right but right. like some eldritch stuff is going on and it's your job to contain it or keep it out of the eye of the public so funny story Remember how we were talking about how some of these things that are coming out has to be, you know, these people ran a game and they put in like their own little storylines or their own. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We played a very similar game to this. My friend Maxwell <laughs> ran it, um, but he was inspired by the movie Vampires, I think. John Carpenter's Vampires. Okay. And we were just like, we were these, this unit. And we had tech, not like, you know, crazy high tech kind of stuff, but we were, we were, we had military gear and we rode around in a van and we worked for this organization that was shadowy, but 
they sent us to these places and it was a lot of fun. So I know I would have a lot of fun playing this game. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I really I really want to play Delta Green. I think that'd be very cool. The only Cthulhu game I ever played in, I played in one Call of Cthulhu game. Uh my character was a Navy doctor. Um okay. I was a, I just put myself in as a doctor because nobody else had any of those skills on their character sheet. I was joining the group that was playing kind of late. And I was like, okay, if somebody gets hurt, I can patch them up. But in the session we were playing, we ended up picking up this goat and we just decided to bring this goat with us. I don't, I don't know why, why I thought you were saying ghost. And I was like, okay, Cthulhu. <laughs> and, and even more, I don't know why I'm weirded out that it was a fucking goat and not a ghost. Why am I weirded <laughs> out that it was a goat? Oh, you will be in a moment. Give it time, oh, sir. No. <laughs> so we ended up picking up this goat. Don't know why we kept it. Um, named it Billy. We were like, okay, Billy, you're going to be with us for the rest of this, whatever we're doing. And then later on, I ended up seeing some real Eldred shit. And I went insane. My character went insane. And so the game master rolled on the insanity table and was like, okay, let's see what your insanity manifests as. And he was like, okay, um... It's bestiality. No. <laughs> and I was like, and we have a goat. And he's That's like, bad. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, so what are you doing on your turn? And I was like, I think you know what I'm doing on my turn. You really got to make me describe it. Like, yeah. So, and that's what I did for like an entire combat. Wow. Yeah. Just take fuck the goat, huh? <laughs> Pretty much. Right. I was insane that entire cut. Like, the thing came out that we were supposed to fight. I went crazy. It got rolled as bestiality, and then I was just like, okay, I guess I'm <laughs> disabled for this combat. So, I, since we're talking about Call of Cthulhu, again, another, this is another great game, but it's also a very great game system, the Chaosium system. I don't know if that's the system that they use, but my favorite system for Cthulhu is the Chaosium system. Um, okay. There's quite a few games that you can run off of that, mind you. Um, but I also make the argument that you could run a D&D game using the Chaosium system. Mm -hmm. um, well, also considering that there is uh, Elric. Are you familiar with Elric? The god killer? Really. Okay. So... There is a book series by Michael Moorcock called, uh, the main character is called Elric. And mm -hmm. uh, they made a role-playing game based off of it using the Chaosium system. The Chaosium system is great in that, for the most part, it uses the same stats as D&D. Mm -hmm. um, strength, uh, dexterity, constitution, all that stuff. Um, sure. But for those of us that like a skill-based game, mm -hmm. man, Chaosium has a shit ton of skills and even a part where you can just add in skills too so it, it, it's very it's very open it's not very restrictive it's great so that being said i had been playing in cons and one of the cons i believe it was capcom and it was in ohio okay united states earth and uh <laughs> at the ohio state university apparently i have to say it like that and I played, we were people coming from out of town and we were investigating this small town. I shit you not, 15 minutes into this game, I saw something that broke my mind and I lost, I was insane. I right. lost my character 15 minutes into this game. However, 
the game master took me to the side to role play this part out. Mm-hmm. And he was like, man, I'm sorry. You, you, you know, you, you lost your shit. You know, you, you technically you're dead. You're dead. I'm sorry. And I'm like, will you let me keep playing it though? And he's like, you really? I'm like, yeah, dude, I, I will play. So what, what's my derangement? I can't even remember what it was, but, mm-hmm. and he was like, yeah, I mean, if you think you can do it, I was like, okay. So throughout the game, I, so the, the characters knew that I had, the, the players knew that I had gained some sort of derangement and I played it. Sure. So they knew that I was kind of insane and that's fine. But I also, throughout the course of the game, ended up sacrificing everybody else in the game and called forth the big baddie from the middle of the lake. Mm-hmm. They didn't realize what was happening until it was too late. And like the end of the game was me standing and this is all stuff I role played me with my arms raised at the, at the lake's edge, dropping to my knees as this fucking eldritch horror <laughs> emerged from the waters. And, uh, I won this little ditty from, uh, I know that, nice you know, you guys glass. can't see it, yeah. see it on the sending stones, but, uh, I keep this, uh, it's a pint glass that I keep behind the bar. It says Arkham Pale Ale. And uh, honestly, <laughs> it really made, it, it really gave me a love for pint glasses, like weird pint glasses. So, sure. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, and, and the whole, like we got to vote on best role player at the end of it. Everybody else voted for me. And I was like, but I killed you guys. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what you get when you get people who appreciate role playing and not, I'm here to win a game. Yes. Yes. And that's a that's a big thing when you're playing a lot of role-playing games, tabletop role-playing games that aren't D&D. Games like Call of Cthulhu, Dread, um, Apocalypse World, Paranoia. Well, White Wolf, the game master, is called a storyteller. Mm-hmm. They're there to tell a story. A lot of games that don't have those super crunchy rule sets you know what i mean like they are all about the role play yep like you can play a game of D and have zero role play in it like you could create yourself a dungeon that you want to crawl through literally have your characters kick down the door kill what's there take it shit and move on to the next door but with a lot of these other tabletop role playing games you just can't do that like the, the game doesn't have the rules for it. It's about telling a story. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what I like. I like collaborative storytelling. Now, you know, don't get me wrong. There, there are players out there that love mechanics over anything. And I am constantly in awe of these people who are able to make these characters who are so numerologically superior to anything mm-hmm. anybody else can make where they accidentally do 500 points of damage as a level one, as a level one <laughs> human fighter. And it's like, right. I don't get it. How did you do this? And they're like, well, this is how you do it. And I'm like, that is, nope, I don't have a degree. I can't do that. Mm-hmm. You take this race with this variant and add this feat. Right. Take it, yeah, it, yeah. Remember how I asked you if I could use this homebrew? That's why. Yeah. <laughs> So I could break it. Thank you very much. Yeah, right, right. 
Which I will say, I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with broken characters if you're using them for roleplay. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's fine. It's also, again, still really impressive. Yeah. It's really impressive to see people doing that. And as long as everybody knows going into it, I mean, it just don't don't use the character to ruin a story. Right. Be there to have fun. Keep in mind that there's a story to be told. There's absolutely nothing wrong with being the Saitama or the Goku of your story. Right. You know what I mean? Right. But it has to be the story you're telling. Mm-hmm. Absolutely agree to that. <clears throat> um, which brings me to another one. I was trying to remember its name, and it just came to me. Um, Fiasco, which I, I don't know if you've... Oh, okay. So Fiasco is another one where you're trying to basically create a movie to the point where you have scenes, you have characters, um, like you are a player carrying, like you are playing a role. You are like, this is your character, you're playing a role. We just haven't given you a script. Like you're basically improvising this whole movie. And the, the only dice rolling for the most part that happens in Fiasco is at the very beginning of the movie when you're setting up the scenes. And so you've got dice that end up making a, a scene end well for you, dice that end up making a scene end up poorly for you, and you can spend your dice on your scene as you're going into your scene, but halfway through the scene as you're role-playing with somebody else who's in this scene, somebody else who's not even in the scene can just kind of like push a dice across <laughs> and add it to the scene. And, like, you just got to know, okay, well, this means this scene's not ending well for my character. And now you have to roleplay that. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Yes. So, like, I, um, I've i seen, once again, I've seen this one played. Um, this one I saw on a, a YouTube channel that I watched. And they did, a, like, a hard-boiled detective-type movie. Like a noir kind of? Yeah. Nice. Yeah, and uh, it it was great. Just the acting they they put forth in it, it was awesome. I'd love to play that one. I love those games. Love those games when you see people really throwing their all into their character. Yeah, I know. I'm I harp on this a lot, but I don't I don't know. It's just something about seeing somebody get into their their character and just getting into it. I love it so much. It's what role play is all about. I mean, like, if you're not trying to play the character, don't play a role playing game, you know? Exactly. Or it's, again, I will say, know what you're getting into before. Don't, don't, right. don't be one of those people that are like, you know what? I'm going to jump into this and I'm going to do everything I can to be like the broken character. Right. You know, talk, talk to your, talk to your game master and be like, Hey, is this going to be a combat heavy thing? You know, mm -hmm. should I should I make this character to be, you know, ultimate combat, you know, damage dealing, you know, you know what 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 do I get to expect out of this? And mm -hmm. I, I will tell you what I want as well. You know what I mean? Don't let don't let the GM dictate your game. Don't let your players dictate the game. Yeah. You guys are telling a story together. So please work together to tell that story. Cuz even if you did show up with that broken combat character, if it comes down to like that, you guys are playing like the diamond heist game, like you might be sitting on the sidelines for the most of it. Like, yeah. sure, you might come up with the, with the combat, and you may have your one little moment to shine. 
but for the majority of it is like doing espionage and information gathering yep. and picking locks and uh deception and stuff like that your big buff guy carrying a sword is just going to be now sitting there I, not doing much and i can hear it now you have those people that are like well a good gm would no yeah a good gm yes probably could go out of their way to change the story to make mm -hmm. it so that they can fit in but you know what that's not necessarily always it shouldn't always be their responsibility to do to do that Right. There has to be some give. There has to be some take. You know what I mean? So maybe next time, especially if you know going into it that it's going to be a heist-type game, maybe next time make a character that can sneak around as well as club people in the face when sure. need be. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? The Thieves' Guild needs bruisers, too. We get it. Yeah. But even the bruisers can sneak from point A to point B. Yeah. If you've poured all your points into strength and you've got nothing in decks and you're clanking around in your plate armor. <laughs> right. <here. laughs> right. Didn't get very far. You made a you made a you made a paladin to the god of light in this heist game. <laughs> you're an asshole. <laughs> how am I supposed to figure out in this story how to make it okay for you to make you feel okay that you're stealing this thing like Yeah, I could go on and on. <laughs> But, speaking of morally ambiguous, um, there's a game that I've introduced you to that I love. I haven't gotten to play the new edition yet, but I've been playing this game for a long time, Shadowrun. Mm -hmm. I love Shadowrun, which can go right into uh, Cyberpunk as well. Cyberpunk is just Shadowrun without magic. Right. Oh, I'm sorry. Maybe Shadowrun is just Cyberpunk with magic. However yeah. you want to look at it. Right. <laughs> yeah, I love it. And I, I just I just described the game. But Shadowrun is basically a game of, I don't want to say mercenaries, but they are um, black ops. No, no, not even black ops. I mean, soldiers of fortune wouldn't be a, a, a I mean, bad There term, are soldiers think. of fortune, but there's also, yeah. you know, thieves. And yeah. they're, they're basically people that do jobs, Um that aren't legal. Yeah. So they have to keep to the shadows. Mm -hmm. They run the shadows. You know, and in this world, it's, they, there are there are countries ruled by dragons in disguise. There's magic. There's shamans. There's, there is uh, the one thing that I friggin' loved. Uh, I, I would have to say that social justice has been something that's been near and dear to my heart. And in this game, there is a whole nation or two of Native Americans. Like, they... And I, I now I will have to say that I think they they may be First Nations people. Because I think it's in Canada that they... Ooh, I'll have to look at the map again. They change a lot of stuff. But anyways, you know, you have you have the, the, the Native Americans, the First Nations people that aren't living on reservations in this game. They are, you know, they have their own sovereign governments. Right. And, and they are a huge friggin deal in this game and i fucking love it i love it um now you know this game was made in the 80s i think so i'm pretty sure i could go back and probably find again some problematic fucking stuff but mm -hmm. um but for the most part i i love the idea that in this world this world post ghost dance has turned out this way but 
That said, there's also elves and orcs and dwarves and trolls, and the elves have their own little sovereign nation as well. It mostly takes place in Seattle, but there are also source books where they show it show what's happened in other places. Like there's a whole mm-hmm. European source book. This is great. Shadowrun is Shadowrun itself has actually influenced a lot of my storytelling. And I've I've worked a lot of that stuff into games. Now I really want to play again. It's kind of like its own system too. The magic system in it's so weird. But um you just use D sixes. That's mm-hmm. it. D sixes. Uh, sometimes a crap ton of D sixes, but still just sometimes D6s. a crap ton of D sixes. It's just why I have my D six box that is missing most of the D sixes because of the last game we played. <laughs> yeah, I think you got to play. You got to play in a game of it. I think that I ran. Yeah, yeah. So if for for those of you who haven't listened to every episode to ever come out on Ascending Stone. In our post-apocalyptic episode, I talked about a game that uh, Baron once ran for me and a couple other friends where I didn't even realize I was playing Shadowrun. <laughs> uh, he was just like, hey, let's tell a story and play a game. And like, we only rolled dice one time at like the very beginning of it. And then we did the rest of it diceless. <clears throat> And I think a couple other people who had played Shadowrun before, like, figured it out halfway through what we were playing. But me, I was oblivious the entire time. I had never played Shadowrun before. And I thought it was really cool. I mean, like, once I found out that that was Shadowrun and I realized what could come of that little improv story we told, I've wanted to play a game of Shadowrun and, like, create a character and do all that stuff ever since and just haven't gotten the chance. But, yeah, I... Absolutely. And, you know, I want to say we have been uh, on our Twitch channel, been playing D&D for quite a while. And even when we aren't playing the story that we normally play, we usually run some sort of one shot or some sort of D&D. But I think we need to try to to throw in some of these other systems sometimes on our on our Twitch channel. Absolutely. Yeah, I was I mean, halfway or. I would say as soon as you started this line of thinking, I was kind of hoping that this is where you were going. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. I think that we might have a couple people that aren't down for that. Sure. Like, I think some of our people really like the consistency. I think they like the ongoing game. I think that they like having this ongoing story. But at the same time, like I was saying before, I have so many games that I don't get to play. And well, I'm nothing so would used- stop us from the one week where, say, one or two people can't show up. Instead of running another D&D one-shot um, or another offshoot, or I will say I did have fun running the game where we played D&D, but nobody knew what was on their character sheet. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was fun. Like, And I've got a couple, a couple other ideas like that. But instead of doing those, we could always just run a different system. You know, actually, oh, fuck, never mind. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was, I was just thinking something I could do, but this would just be another ongoing campaign. <laughs> Crap. It'd be a lot of fun, though. Uh, in fact, I, I think I may end up doing it. I, I'll, I'll be perfectly honest right now, and 
Um, let's just hope the rest of the group doesn't listen to the podcast. God, that's counterproductive, isn't it? <laughs> it's very counterproductive. I am actually working up to the end of this campaign that we're on that we're in now. Oh yeah. Yep, there is an end in sight. I want you guys to experience the end of a campaign. We've been playing this one for quite a bit now, so it's weird to think of that. Stop us from. Yeah. We we started this game at the beginning of like the big pandemic lockdown, so it's been a few yeah. months. Yeah, because I think when the when the pandemic lockdown very very first started, we started some stuff that we were recording and didn't put on Twitch, and that was a different campaign. But then things really got into full swing, and a couple of the people who were in that game couldn't come over to your place anymore. And so that's what got us into our current game because it was basically we only played with people who could play from home by themselves, properly quarantined and socially distanced. But yeah, it's, it's been a while now. Like something we planned to just be a couple of sessions, I think, has turned into yeah, quite the a fact long that thing. If I was to end this campaign next month, it's still mm-hmm. gone months longer than we intended. Yes. <laughs> The crisis is crazy, which makes it even crazier to sit here and talk about tabletop role-playing games because some of these things, as as okay, it has never been easier to play games over remotely, mm-hmm. to play games without being together. Mm-hmm. But a game like Dread, like I was talking about, you can't play that over Discord. Right. You can't play right. that over Google Hangouts. You have to have people over, and it's crazy to be in this hobby and certain games to just be like shut out entirely as an option. You know, you cannot play this game unless of course, I mean, you are in a big family who all happen to like tabletop role-playing games and you are quarantining together, in which case I'm jealous, but you know, you know, have fun. Um, yeah, I actually have, I actually have friends who are in a five person family mm-hmm. and they're all, 16 and above and it's like they can play games together they mm-hmm. actually have they own the theater in town too so they they go and have family movie night and it's like oh nice can i draw up the adoption papers now <laughs> right exactly adopt me in please yeah yeah, the State Theater is uh, here. The State Theater in uh, London, Ohio, is, is a wonderful, wonderful family-owned business. Uh, mm-hmm. I know nobody hearing this is ever going to be exposed to that town or that theater, but I mean, they're just great. I love them. They're great people, and they they really took a theater that was this close to. I'm. You can't see through the sending stones, but my fingers are really close together. <laughs> Extremely uh, close. Together, yeah. I mean, you tell them. You tell them how close together those are. Oh yeah, that's that's they're, so they're almost touching. So yeah. close. It was that close to just dying and being gone forever. <laughs> and they they kept it alive for a small town. So yeah, kudos yeah. out to them. Oh, now I have the, all these uh, board games I can't play either. And oh, anyways, we're talking about tabletop role play games. Yeah, tabletop role playing games. <laughs> yeah, and how it installment. Sucks to- do you have an installment of games I never got to play or have never played, but would really love to? 
that yes. may or may not be sitting on your shelf. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, definitely. Um, let's see. I'm trying to think of the name of one of them. So I, uh, this, is, this is what I think we should do. You go ahead and think of that game. But then after that, in one fell swoop, we get the books that are just sitting on our shelves that we've <laughs> never played or really haven't played in a while even. And we just want to play, but never get the fucking chance. Well, there was one, I forget what it's, I forget what it's called, but apparently it's a really small little book. I don't have it. A friend of mine has it, but you're basically playing Ghostbusters. Okay. And it's, yeah, I don't know the name of it, but he's tried to pull it out at like every, whoa, (laughs) every time we had, whoa, friends over and we were oh. playing tabletop our play rpgs or, or box good. games or whatever and I it was a, you just ignoring me <laughs> you learn over time <laughs> hey, you just don't reward that behavior <laughs> <laughs> if i just ignore him he'll stop <laughs> It was like ghost investigators or or something like that. But he was like, yeah, it's super easy to learn. It only takes a couple minutes. I can run a game in an hour or two. Like, we should totally play this. And I've always been down, but it's never been enough people. Like, you know, you get a bunch of people together for a game night, and they're like, oh, I don't want to learn a new game. I want to play Munchkin again. And so we play Munchkin again. You know what I mean? (laughs) 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 But I've always wanted to play it. And another one was Paranoia. And I don't know if you've ever heard of Paranoia. You know what's fucked up is I've been... (laughs) I've been at a con where they were playing a live action Paranoia. Oh, God. No, no, no. I played... I was at a con where they played a live action tune. So don't even get me started on weird-ass LARPs I've seen people play. (laughs) Holy, oh, but yeah, the live-action paranoia was great because they even worked in props and rooms, and it was great. It looked oh, great. Oh, jeez. Yeah. God forbid uh, you pick up a, a, a prop that your rank is not authorized to touch. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like but that. you need it. You need it to complete your job, but you're not authorized to touch it. Like, oh, jeez. Yeah. Yeah. I think paranoia anyone- would be fun, but I want someone else to run it. Um, you want to play that and I don't trust myself. Ironically, I don't trust myself to run the game. (laughs) (laughs) I think I would be excellent at running a game of paranoia. Okay. All right. Like, I think like those kind of minutia and like, like catching people on, on shit and be like, Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. Did you just, just cross the red line? Um, uh, I'm sorry. Did you just like talk about the color blue? Like you're not even supposed to know that color exists. What? <laughs> and really, we don't even really have to tell you what the game is about. Just us talking about it. I'm sure our viewers are getting the gist. Yeah, they're getting a general idea of yeah. how that game works. And, and and I know I mentioned Tune. It's exactly what it sounds like. You, you're playing a cartoon. You are a mm-hmm. cartoon with different cartoon abilities. Pulling giant mallets out of your pocket yep. and whatnot. Yep. Yeah, but oh, man. And I, I will say this. 
one of the future episodes I want to do is LARP. So mm -hmm. we could definitely talk about that more later. I, I think I'll have a lot of fun with that, especially considering when I say LARP, everybody hearing me say the word LARP has a different idea of what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. And let me tell oh, you, yeah. when, I th when I hear LARP, I think rock, paper, scissors. Sure. Right? Uh -huh. so you know what I mean. You know what yep. I mean. Mm -hmm. And strippers in New Orleans. Wait. <laughs> That's a story for another cast. <laughs> You're just going to have to get that the sending stone for that one. <laughs> if you yeah, want to hear yeah. more about strippers me... in New Orleans, you're going to have to tune in. Again, strippers in New Orleans. All right. <laughs> Moving on. Um, I will say I've had some fun playing and running Parsley. Um, see, you give me that look like you've never played before, but I've run a game of Parsley for you and just you over, over Facebook Messenger. Oh! Yeah. Was that? Did you ever tell me what it was called? I don't know. Probably. 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 Uh, but probably not. My memory Parsley, is terrible. Parsley is a small book that tells you how to run text adventures for your friends. So if you've ever played Zork or anything like that, you have an idea of what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. You know, you describe a room and you say, you enter a room, it's dusty, there's a portrait to the north, there are exits to the east and west, and a fireplace to the south. And then the way you traditionally run Parsley is let's say you have four players. You then we go clockwise. <laughs> you go clockwise around the table, and each one of those players enters a command into the computer. You're the so you're yes. The, if you're running the game, you are the computer. So yes. you're all playing one character. So if player one says examine portrait you then describe the portrait to that player and maybe they find something or maybe they don't. And then player number two could say exit East, at which point the player character that all the players are controlling will exit to the room to the East. And then you describe that room and so on and so forth. I ran a game of this for Baron and the title of the game was uh, flaming goat. That was my nickname in high school. <laughs> And it was a pretty simple premise um, in the book itself where it tells you how to run this game. Um, it is literally one page long <laughs> on how to run Flaming Goat. I think it took Baron a, either about an hour to figure Altogether, out. Yeah. Obviously, I think there was, you know, some distractions and shit. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, we were back and forth on Facebook Messenger. But it took Baron about an hour because the whole thing is with Parsley. I don't know if you've ever played any of the Zork or uh, King's Quest or any of the text point and click style adventures. But a lot of times the computer can be a bit of a snarky dick. Like you go to do something that you think is the right thing to do and the computer will take it literally in a way you didn't expect the computer to take it and be snarky and come back with a comeback. And that's what Parsley, a lot of the time, is about if you are running the game, is coming back with some snarky response <laughs> and, and telling them, nope, that's not the right thing to do. Um, I, I think I would have had more fun knowing that 
Well, especially, and also treating you like a legit computer. Yeah. Like, if I treated you like a legit computer and not like a person that was running this game for me, I think it would right. be a lot funnier. Because you know when, <laughs> when we did games like this... Okay, hold on. By we, I mean, like, the, the uh, millennial, old millennial, Gen X, young boomer generation that played these games... We would try to do something, and the computer would be like, "That is not a legit, you know what I mean? That's not that's not uh -huh. a legit command." Well, fuck you. <laughs> and, you know, we'd always get that is not a legit command, but you know, with with a computer that is playing right. back the snarky comments, the, the computer could easily be like, "Well, fuck you too." <laughs> right. And I've had, think, friend, I've, I've had a friend. I think a lot of my. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I've had a friend of mine run a couple of Parsley Adventures over Facebook as well. So, like, he would start a Facebook status that says, you know, you are in front of a castle. There is a lake to the west. There is a mailbox to the east. You know, the entrance to the castle is to the north. And, like, that would be the first status. And, like, he would let people comment commands and whoever commented that was just the next command he would take and he would literally run it as if every comment was the command that got entered into the computer and basically it was a bunch of people on his status which is a really cool game to run a way to run a game when like you're in a, a social distance situation and gotcha. literally anyone can jump in or out at any given time because i was thinking of running a game on facebook that way but not with parsley, but just being like, you know, you enter a room, mm -hmm. you know, I think I might, I think I might do that. Um, anybody listening to this podcast, if you're not on my Facebook already, you're not invited because that Facebook is for personal use only. <laughs> and I'm not going to let you do that. And it's hard to do that on Twitter. So I'm not going to do it on Twitter. I'm not going to do it on Instagram. Get over yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> you could totally do something like that on TikTok, though. You know, there's a lot of people that were doing stuff like that on TikTok, mm -hmm. like uh, Momo O'Brien. Yep. Uh, and I think she even did that on accident. Like, she didn't even mean for it to start out like that. Feel <laughs> free to correct me, all two of you listening right now. Um, but I think that she started this completely on accident. And yeah just ran with it, and she came up with a great story. Mm -hmm. Great story, which, by the way, I've been following her on YouTube for a while now, because she did some uh, stuff at LARP, and, like, she did a LARP video and stuff. She She's a really, really great person. You get a chance to check her out on YouTube. You get a chance to check her out on TikTok. Follow her social. She's, she's really cool, really creative. I will shill for other people for free. I don't care. Yeah, totally. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Parsley is a lot of fun. Obviously, it it it's nostalgic, and yeah, I love it. Um, I will say, if you've never played a a text adventure style game, it can be a little bit harder to get into. But... Oh yeah, yeah. It, especially for those people who have no mind's eye theater at all, it it, mm -hmm. it may be hard for them to understand, especially that this was an actual thing but then also visualizing it. But if it sounds like something you'd be interested in, I mean, we're not sponsored, but Parsley is made by one person. 
Um, and he's putting out all the books and all the stuffs all by himself. If you go to mementomori.com, that is M-E-M-E-N-T-O hyphen M-O-R-I.com, the hardcover book is 30 bucks. And when I paid for it, I think I paid 35 to get both the hardcover book and the PDF download. Yeah. And the PDF download you can also purchase there. And it's super cheap. So like don't don't pirate it somewhere. Like go pay the five bucks or whatever yeah, it is definitely. and support this creator because definitely. he made a really cool thing. Definitely. You know what? Let me talk about one more game that I think that people should really get their hands on before I pull off the games from my shelf. <laughs> um, there is a there is a game that I started out playing, and this is going to go into games that I want to play. Um, it's called Tiny Dungeon. It's uh, something that I wanted to run for you guys, but it's a really, really simple game. You, uh, In fact, it actually reminded me a lot of that super game that you ran. Um, it's a D6 game. You generally mm -hmm. roll 2D6 mm -hmm. unless it's unless you have some kind of disadvantage. Then you roll 1D6. Right. Or if you have advantage, you roll 3D6. Tiny Dungeon is a fantasy world. However, at the end of this book, at the end of the book, it has a list of several different settings that you can set your game in. And they encourage you to make your own setting. But if you can't or won't or don't, then there are several settings at the end of this game that you can run your game in. Um, it's great. I don't have the game around me because I had it. I downloaded it from Drive Through RPG. Mm -hmm. uh, again, great resource for anybody that is looking for games. Um, Drive Through RPG. Again, not sponsored, but I will shill for people that I like. Um, mm -hmm. <clears throat> but not only is it fantasy, but they also have a super game. They have a post-apocalyptic game. I think they have one or maybe two more different settings and it's great i love it it's it's a deep and rich world with a very very simple uh game system it's the first thing that my daughter played in she loved it i think she ate a dwarf i'm not 100 percent sure <laughs> sorry it's uh it's gallant night games by the way who who makes tiny dungeon yes 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 but, and they're in their second edition yes Yes. Mm -hmm. um, but like I said, I think I when when I originally got it, it was on drive through RPG. Right. I think that was the only way I could get it. Um, but I'm pretty sure they're doing stuff on theirs. Um, the original one was a PDF that I had to download and print out. So I printed it out and had to put it in a binder. Uh, then I got a hard. Well, then I got a physical copy, I believe, from Gallant Knight um, for the tiny supers. And I have a copy of their. Uh, Apocalypse game. Ugh. I was just on their website, and it looks like they've got one called Pieces of Eight as well, which I have Ooh, to assume is a pirate game. one. Yeah, <laughs> which I would be very interested in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you would love it, Rick. It's yeah. it's a great system, like I said, and if it's anything like any of the other ones, you are going to love it. Well, like um, you said, it sounds a lot like the super game I ran, which, by the way, was City of Mist. If City anyone of missed that. Yeah. If anyone missed that live stream, um, had Facebook a ton of fun. was advertising them so much. <laughs> Yeah, 
Yeah, which so is why I, honestly why I found it. Um, but City of Mist is based off the Apocalypse World system, which a lot of people use the Apocalypse World system for their own games. Um, but the Apocalypse World system has a lot of games based off of it. And so if you are interested in something that's also very rules-like, like Tiny Dungeon, I would recommend anybody just Google Apocalypse World and then whatever setting it is that you're looking for. Nice. Um, you know, Apocalypse World Pirate, Apocalypse World Superheroes, Apocalypse World Noir, which and is you'll very, find somebody. Which is a very popular format for people to do, I think. You yeah. look at Rifts, you look at GURPS, you look at, you know, the Apocalypse World. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's good. I, I like it when game systems do that. Um, there's a very cool Monster of the Week one made with the Apocalypse World system where basically you're playing your own version of the game Super the, the show Supernatural or Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, and then you're tackling whatever monster it is that week. And you have like your moves and stuff like that and different characters you can play as. And there's a whole fantasy RPG one called Dungeon World that's basically very similar to Dungeons and Dragons, except it's played with 2D6s, and it's very player-facing. Um, the storyteller, dungeon master, whatever you want, game master, whatever you want to call him for or him or her for the Apocalypse World system isn't, once again, it's just setting up certain tent poles and then leaving the story open to the players. And you don't have to say in Apocalypse World games, you don't have to say, is there, like, let's say you're going through a dungeon, you don't just have to say, is there a torch on this wall? You can say, I find a torch on this wall, and then, you know, you can roll for it, you know what I mean? And it's very similar to the other game that you were talking about, the Blades in the Dark, you know what I mean? The, the players run the Apocalypse World games. I know that's not quite how I ran that City of Mist game, because it was my first Apocalypse World game that I had run. And most of the players had never played an Apocalypse World. So, like, we were kind of going based off of the RPGs we had played in the past. But if you play it as written, it is very player-facing and very rules-light. Nice. Yeah, the, you've told me about this, this system lots of times before, and it sounds great. I just... So many things. So many things to play. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's the big issue. It's so so much to play and so few time and players. I'm like legit getting sad. <laughs> <laughs> Which oh, is fair. Oh, I've got my That's... little heart breaking just like. <laughs> I now I'll tell you, people talk about the curse of the the forever DM, like or, or but like that, in my opinion, is the true curse of the forever DM. I don't mind having to run every game that I play, which between me and you, like, obviously I don't and you don't right. because I run games for you. You run games for me. But like in a lot of groups of friends, you do end up having this the same guy run every game. Now, hey, I did just get news that we did. Well, actually, you know, the one cool thing that we've gotten to experience playing a game together with uh, with uh, the spawn running. Yeah. Which is very that was, cool. That was fun. She did a great job too. <laughs> she really did. She really did. I was actually especially kind of for out. how little prep that she had. None. Like she she, had no. Yeah. <laughs> like she I ran a game earlier that day 
And then she went, I want to run a game. And we were like, yeah, totally run a game. And then a few hours later, we were playing. Like, She's she's actually a big inspiration to how I'm running the game we're playing now. Yeah. I was like, if she but, can fucking do it, I can do it. <laughs> to finish what I was saying, like a lot of people say the curse of the forever DM is that you have to run every game and you never get to play. My personal opinion, and this might even be Guild Decree, so like, oh shit, hold that thought. Uh oh. The true curse of the forever DM is that you will always have a hundred ideas that you never get to run, that you will never come to fruition. I mean, you know that's Guild Decree. The tr Guild Decree, the true curse of the forever DM is you will always have hundreds of ideas you will never get to use. It's true, and you know what? That can even that even applies to you walking right up to that game with this idea that you're about to lay out, and then the players are like, nope. Yep, <laughs> just complete left turn. And you're like, all right. Um, just you know what, that's it. We're, nope, nope, you know what? We're hopping on the guild train. I'm railroading this bitch. Come on. <laughs> I've too have, much work. I'm not even kidding. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> I, I was thinking about putting the guild train into one of our next games. <laughs> I really was. <laughs> yeah all right let me lightning round ladies and gentlemen if you saw the stack of books that are bartender baron just pulled up from down in the wine cellar you might faint they make me sad they make me sad and this isn't even necessarily counting the source books for D D that i want to use like the oh yeah the eros book that i just got that i would love to use the uh Wild Mount? No, not Wild Mount. Shit. Okay. Before you I just got anyways, go ahead. Before you go over the giant stack, I will go over the very minuscule in comparison. Okay. Of things that I've wanted to do that I haven't had the chance to do. A lot of them being D D related. Um I have a few of those boxes that you can buy from Dungeons and Dragons. Like the the Stranger Things starter kit, I would love to run. Oh yeah, I have that um, too. The Rick and Morty starter kit, I've only gotten halfway through with a group. We, we still haven't finished the second half. And I will also be counting, I, these are technically box games, but up until the crisis, I had a group that we were playing Betrayal Legacy with every Sunday. And I missed that so much. It was an ongoing campaign. Might as well have been a tabletop RPG. Um, and when we weren't playing Betrayal Legacy, we were playing Time Stories. And I don't know if you've ever heard of Time Stories, but it's a really cool game. If you buy just the regular box, you can only play it one time because once you've figured out the story of it and how to beat it, like it's the same thing mm -hmm. again if you play it again. But you can buy expansions for it. And basically the idea of it is you and the other players are a group of time agents. So people who travel through time and correct wrongs in the time stream. Okay. So you have to figure out, you get to a certain time, you have to figure out what's wrong, who's causing it, and how to fix it. And then you fix it, and like it's all done through cards. Like You have a deck of cards, and it's like, don't flip over this card until you've flipped over this card. And so you don't necessarily need a storyteller because the game does it for you through cards. But playing that was very cool and very role-play. I still have an idea for a Dun Dungeons & Dragons campaign where all the players play Toads from the Super Mario series. Like, every player character is a Toad. 
Gotcha. And you are on a journey to summon the legendary hero to the Mushroom Kingdom. And the legendary hero is Mario. So, like, once you manage to get Mario on the scene, that's the end of the campaign. Because then he does his whole thing. Okay, that's kind of cool, though. I kind of like that idea just in general. You play yeah. characters that are trying to summon the like, legendary hero. hero. Yeah. You are not the legendary hero. You never will be. Yep. Oh, my God! <laughs> and... Last one, I want to play one where you roll stats for the, your character, but you do it in order, and there are no rerolls. Like you, like <laughs> so, like you don't have to decide before you roll your stats what race and class you are. Like if you roll high strength and low dex, be like, okay, I'm playing the barbarian, or okay, I'm playing the fighter. But like, I would love to play a game where you roll stats down and just just down the list and just stick with what you get and i'd love to turn that into a survival style game yeah hell yeah i uh i, I will tell you this that that's how that's how fucking D used to be mm -hmm. you roll straight down and yep. if you don't have a high enough dex guess what you're not playing the elf right <laughs> you're not playing an elf because you don't have a high enough dex get to the back of the line human <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, those those days, those days. Oh, it's my I turn. I would never actually like force that on my players, but like it would be neat for like a. One oh time. yeah, going into you know? it, going yeah. into it, and everybody knows that's different. Yeah, but if you're like everybody, sit down. This is how we're doing it. It's like I want to do this. Yeah. So yeah. So yeah, let, let's let's look at this stack of books. Let's do it. All right. <sighs> Okay, first book is Hellas. It's uh, by Kepera Publishing, Ethereal Forge. Um, it is essentially um, ancient Greece in space. Holy shit. So, yeah, you can see the front cover there. It's a nice Spartan guy um, in, like, power armor. But on the back is, like, a centaur-type creature. Oh, jeez, yeah. But really, that's just like a space squid in an exosuit that just happens to be a centaur-type creature. Oh, that's neat. Yeah. Then they have a uh, then they have a race of, like, ant people, I think, which is funny because, you know, that's what Myrmidons are. Like, uh, Achilles' uh, Myrmidons are ant people. Okay. Yep. So, yeah, you have Amazorans. Oh. <laughs> They're like really big blue women. Uh, Gorgons, which are snake people. Right. right. The Hellenes, which are the humans. The Kyclops, which, thinking about it, I think that's how they're pronounced. I, they wouldn't be pronounced Cyclops. Well, maybe they would be Cyclops with a Y after it. I'm not fluent in Greek, so I'm not sure, but the C is usually a K sound, which is why it's Kerberos, not Cerberus. Gotcha. Uh, yep, Myrmidons. They're actually even called Myrmidons, um, but they're insect swarms. The Nephili, which are uh, uh, like angel people, like the, the. I'm thinking they probably should have called them Boreans, but that's fine. The Nymphas, which are like plant plant people. Uh, mm -hmm. Zintar, you know, saying it out loud, I get it now. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, never got to play it. Never ever got to play it. Bought it. 
had a cool conversation with the creators. Uh, they have other games too that you should check out. Great guys. That uh, sounds but, very. That sounds very niche. You'd have to have a very specific gaming group to play that game. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but it's made by Michael Feigl and Jerry Grayson. Uh, like I said, good guy. It's got the. Don't quit, you can stop laughing at me. Next is Outbreak Undead. As you can see, still in the plastic. Oh, geez. Still in the plastic. So this is a, a role-playing game that I thought was a card game, but it's actually a role-playing game that uses cards, and I still really want to play this. Again, uh, zombies are my favorite horror kind of thing, and apocalypse. They're not my favorite apocalypse situation, but um, you know how I feel about apocalypse games. So Then we have Spark. It's done by Jason Petre, um, published by uh, Genesis of Legend, Bits and Mortar. This is a game that the Spawn picked out, actually, and it's like a superhero game. It's more about destiny, and uh, this game you play roles of the most... Okay, Spark is a role-playing storytelling game. In this game, you play the roles of the most important characters in a fictional world. You cooperate to tell a story of heroic deeds and personal struggles. So okay, yeah. So it depends. Really comes down to what kind of world you're playing in mm -hmm. for that particular. And I remember talking to the guy. I believe he was the guy that made this, but it could have just been the guy that was selling it. But it's about challenging beliefs. So your character has a set of beliefs, and they get challenged through the course of the game, and that's kind of where they get their driving force. Okay. <sighs> Epilon. It's a dragon role-playing game. Okay. But it's dragons. Again, another spawn game. Uh, she really, really dug the idea. Um, right. And we've never got to play it. But yeah, you play a dragon from like babydom to adultdom. Yeah. Again, I mentioned this earlier, Tiny Wastelands, Tiny Supers I have as well. Uh, games I've never gotten to play. But the, actually, Tiny Supers is spawns gaming as well. Her dragon uncle george gave it to her uh, for her for her birthday last year still haven't got to play it I'm, I'm noticing that i have a lot of games for the spawn that she's picked out um she was going through a really <laughs> big uh superhero game phase and she picked this out all of them were at uh the origins gaming convention but yeah this looks like a lot of fun too what's that one called oh it's called masks a new generation um, it's, uh, power, oh, powered by the apocalypse. I don't think it's the same system. Apocalypse-world.com. No, that's it. Is it? Oh, then mm -hmm. it's an apocalypse engine game. I own one and didn't even yeah. know it. Yay! But it's done by Magpie Games. So yeah, hey, ha, imagine that. Next is the end of the world. Uh, zombie apocalypse, um, I... This is the zombie apocalypse version, but I also have the the gods, the deities version. It's basically a game series that centers on the end of the world, except mm -hmm. each source book focuses on a different way the world ends. This one just happens to be the zombie apocalypse, and like I said, there's a there's a deity one, and by deity I mean it's very Lovecraftian. But yeah. Um, what was the series that, called again? Uh, the end of the world. Okay. Uh, it's done by Fantasy Flight Games. I don't have use that. many Fantasy Flight games. Huh? 
Did they use those weird fantasy flight dice? I mean, maybe. They probably also have a lot of cards <laughs> and bits and pieces, too. And the cards are weird sizes. Oh, man. Are they? <laughs> what is Well, this? usually in Fantasy Flight. Fantasy Flight always has those tiny mm -hmm. little cards. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I have I have the Arkham game. I know. I know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I also have... Uh, I've played a lot of uh, the X-Wing miniatures game, which is Fantasy oh, Flight. Oh, my gosh. Yes. And it's got a lot of those little cards and the big cards and the weird dice and oh, yeah. all little pieces and absolutely yeah. yep yep intimately familiar i also have a couple games that i've never gotten to run i'm not even sure i've gotten to play but man am i ready to play it um i have iron claw and jade claw and if i have any furries out there listening to this right now these are your games <laughs> these are your games I'm telling you also it's really cool how in this storyline uh, let's just say the Iron Claw storyline. Mm -hmm. You have all these animals that are in like this fantasy setting, these anthropomorphized animals, and mm -hmm. horses are the main power in the world. It's like you okay. would think that you would think that you know they would put a lion or a wolf or no no no. Wolves are like the barbarians of the world, and horses are like the kings and the nobles. And it's like that kind of makes sense though. Yeah, it makes. Yeah, I can sense. see it. Um, and then also I have the the D and D supplements that I fucking want to play. I have this. Okay. Um, they made a whole like miniature line for these, and they're cute. I remember and they seeing those. Yeah. Completely stole my idea for a game. <laughs> they are kids who have the power of the world magic, and they are the ones that go out adventuring, and they have all these special abilities and the adults are left at home and they, they have forgotten magic and they have forgotten all these special things about the world. And so I might as well just run a LARP about this game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, like somebody already did a lot of the work for you. Might as well yeah. just go ahead and. Yep. They did. So yeah. So that, and then the Theros game and, and the, the critical role games, like all these things I, I just want to do. And I can't too busy adulting. And then, and then I want to, you know what, really, honestly, I kind of want to force you guys. I don't even want to convert anymore. I just want to force you guys to make uh, a D and D characters and run you guys through the dragon mountain module. <laughs> just, Fuck it, whatever. I'm not even gonna convert it. Just make these characters, and we're playing. Jeez, A D and D. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but then I'd have to force the spawn how to learn Thacko, and yeah, I don't want to do it. Yeah, no, you I'm don't want to sure, do that. I'm pretty sure if I can take nothing and turn it into a good game, I can take something and convert it into a good game. Yeah, yeah. If if you're gonna if you're gonna make us learn Thacko and AD and D and all that, I might be sick that day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I might be coming down with something. I don't blame you. <laughs> but that's well, that's the rub there. I mean, when it comes to tabletop RPGs in general, it's you. It takes a whole lot more than the love of the game. You know what I mean? When it comes to video games and other gaming hobbies and stuff like that, like. You can sit down, and, and as long as you've got the time and the love of the game, like, there it is. But with tabletop RPGs, you've got the whole other element of not only do you have to have time, but you've got to find a group of people 
who also have the time, that time has to coincide with your time. Their interests have to coincide with your interests, which a lot of the times is why we all end up going back to D&D because everybody's played it in the community anyway. Everybody's played it. You don't have to take time teaching somebody how to play it. You don't have to spend a session learning how to play it. Regardless of what's going on, it fits most people's interests. You know, it's just... And honestly, thankfully, it's still a good game. Yeah. I mean, that's at least it's not crap, you know? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. if it's a crap game, then I might have a problem, but Mm -hmm. yeah. Which might be why so many people got up in arms about 4th edition. (laughs) Sorry, sorry. No, it's fine. I liked it, but you know. Yeah, yeah. anybody that likes it, man, I'm so happy for you. God, I cannot be more (laughs) happy for you. What a... What a little trooper you are. I'm so proud of you. So proud. I think the only reason is because it's it's more or less what I started with. Yeah, I played like one or two things of 3.5. But for the most part, my D&D journey started with 4th edition. So I, I didn't know any better. Well, to be fair, I'm the one that exposed, it, exposed you to it. So Yeah, yeah. Because that was the edition that was out when you first started but i mean even then i was again i'm not trying to bad mouth it but man i was trying to muscle my way through that shit so bad <laughs> i made so many house rules just to make it make sense and to me right the, the commander is that what they're called the one the one right that one class that lets you move people around the field oh, the one i played um man, like i had it until you didn't have it and now it's gone because I played a bunch of that class because I really enjoyed it. It was the first character I ever made myself was was one of those. I want to say like War Master. But oh, that, yeah, not, that has to be kind of close, I, I think. I, Battle Master. That's not it. Warlord. Ah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of that stuff didn't make sense. Warlord. You know, they're, they're warlords. And they're supposed to have the superior knowledge on the the battlefield, but then you had people that just like wouldn't fucking listen to them, wouldn't listen to anything they told them, but they were more than happy to let you to exploit your commands to move around the field. And Powers, like, yeah. How how is that even role playingly possible? To me, it didn't make sense. But well, luckily, luckily for us, we had a really good group. I mean, like that group you introduced me to, I came in as a warlord. And even though I was the least expensive, least experienced player at that table, when we got into combat and I started issuing commands, whether I was using my powers or not, like they were like, yes, sir. And like they they fell in line. They were like, "Okay, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this. And it worked out for us. Mm -hmm. So which was is has always been my argument of in defense of fourth edition. It's. It all comes down to who you play with, but and whether or not they're buying into the fantasy of it, right? And I think but, really, but my fifth biggest... edition and other di- editions didn't necessarily require that as much. Correct. I think my biggest problem with uh, fourth edition was that it relied too much on the miniature aspect of it. It really did, and and. You know, D&D is not a miniature game for me. And I know a lot of people are are like, they rely on these miniatures. They fucking rely on them. Um, and then that's their big defense. But it's just like, look, if you wanted to play a miniature game, play a miniature game. Right. 
this is a role-playing game. However, that option is now there. Yeah. The condition really makes it so that you can play either or. Mm-hmm. And and I'm okay with the well, third edition did that too. You can play either or with third edition. They they explain things rather well with like five foot moves and stuff like that. Um, sure. But fifth edition kept that up, and I like that option to be able to slip into the mind's eye and not have to rely on, you know, sure. uh, miniatures and stuff. So yeah. Whereas I always have been a miniatures guy, and it's probably because I did start with fourth edition. That like when I'm running a game, I really do like having the miniatures. But obviously, I've played with you, and you can tell I can do it without the miniatures, too. But, like, when I'm running a game at my table at home, like, when we get into combat, I usually do pull out the miniatures, unless I'm feeling lazy. And then I'm just like, we're just doing this one in the mind's eye, guys. Like, it's... I will say that I will, if someone wants to make miniatures, Mm -hmm. I'll encourage it. Bring your miniatures, everything like that. You know, even if you just want to show off your character that you've got this new miniature for, yeah, right. Please do that. And I may even run a few combats where I'm like, okay, break out those miniatures, and I'll put out some candy monsters because yep. it's fun. And once you beat a monster, I let you eat the candy. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, there's there's tons of ways that you can do it. Tons of different mm-hmm. ways that you can do it. And and I like miniature games, and I like even incorporating miniatures into my game sometimes. But I don't think that that should be. So fourth edition was so reliant on it. Yeah, it shouldn't be so required. Right. But everything was written in such a way that it assumed you were on a battle map. Right. And exactly. I think that was in an attempt to sell miniatures. Like I oh, think they were like, everything. we're not gonna make our money selling these books. Like we need to figure out another way to make our money. Oh, well, how about these power cards? How about these miniatures? How about these different things to enhance your battlefield? Like these you know, spell cones, stuff like that, you know. It's because they so just think, didn't, they didn't know how to market it. There are plenty of different ways to market right. D&D that don't involve miniatures or changing the, the point of the game. And again, I think that the Critical Role guys are proving that. Yeah, they figured it out for 5th edition. Yeah, and, and like, yes, they did. Um, they're, they're definitely doing, um, fourth, like, 4th fourth edition's, like, Flat books were just crap. Um, sorry to anybody that liked them. I apologize. But they're really branching out with this fifth edition stuff. And again, like mm-hmm. the like I was saying with the uh, with the Critical Role guys, they're they're selling D and D stuff. But it's not just like source books and stuff. They're doing like fucking coffee mugs, toys, mm-hmm. and I really think that Wizards has caught on or Hasbro, whatever, has caught on, and they're like, oh. Nerds like goofy shit. <laughs> it's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, of course we do. Shit. That's uh, we live for goofy shit. We will burn down <laughs> your house for your goofy shit. <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, like, I'm chilling here with a little, you know, plastic mimic and a little uh, spectator or whatever the fuck they're mm-hmm. called. And it's like, yeah, give me a big plush owlbear, man. I love right. this shit, you know. I don't want to just get books. I already have enough books. I you give me your base books and I'm fine. Drop right. those books. I will figure out the rest. If you give me more, awesome. I really love the Theros stuff. Like I said, that's great. Yep. But after that, give me goofy shit. Give me a hoodie that I can afford. Give me, you know, mass produce this shit so I can actually afford it. Right. You know, don't don't just make a custom made piece of shit 
for 50 bucks that you know I can't afford because I barely afforded your book in the first place. Right. You know, get me a pair of socks that are cool that makes me look like I have orc feet. I love it. Yeah. Not to mention when it comes to that kind of stuff, I will buy a lot of that stuff in a heartbeat because if you're wearing, like right now, my mask that I wear every day is covered in poly dice. You know what I mean? Like, I've got five different masks. All of them have poly dice on it. All of them have D20s, D10s, whatever on it. Nice. Because And I wear those every day because there's a chance someone will come up to me and be like, hey, I like your mask. And immediately I know you play Dungeons & Dragons. You're my people. Yeah. Nice. Like, if I've got a shirt on, like, I wear that dragon ampersand as much as I can. That's like, a great on a, logo, by the way, D&D. Oh, yeah. I mean, I know it's been our logo for a while now. We just It's gone through some it. changes. Right. Yeah. We just didn't really treat it like our logo and either. Well, let's be honest. We didn't treat it like it was our logo until Chris Perkins told us his name was Andy. <laughs> and then we went, okay, Andy. All right. <laughs> you're coming with me. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, and, but I yeah, wear that I, everywhere. If it's on a hoodie, on a t-shirt, on a hat, on a dog tag necklace, whatever. Because if somebody comes up to me and goes, hey, that's a cool shirt or something like that. Like, I'll know. By the way, here's my email if you're looking for a dungeon master. Right, exactly. I know you live near me because we're at a similar place. I know you're into D&D. &D, you know what I mean? And I know dungeon masters are often in short supply. So... Hit me up. It's awesome. Yep. Uh, have I mentioned that I love how open we can be about this hobby now? Oh uh, yeah, yeah. I, I I love I love I hate that we as a society have not developed further than we should have, but I love that we have made some headway. Yeah, we've made some headway with accepting people for their, you know, their. Uh, hobbies, their interests, their uh, religion, their race, their sexuality. I'm not quite where we need to be sure. at all. There's but. still there's there's still the chance when I go out wearing my Dungeons & Dragons t-shirt that some woman will come up to me and tell me how that's satanic and I shouldn't be wearing that. Like, if I wore it in the 80s, you could pretty much guarantee that was going to happen. But nowadays, I can wear it and yeah, there's still a chance that it'll happen, but not as nowhere close to as much as it would have happened in, back then. I completely agree. Yeah. Huh. All right. Now I'm just getting all nostalgic and feel goods, and mm, well, I'm not going to apologize for that. No, that's a good thing. That is definitely a good thing. <laughs> that's the point of Caster's Guild, honestly. Is like hopefully somebody else listens and goes, "Oh man, that does make me feel good." Yeah. Yeah. But it also kind of makes me uh, want to go out and get a uh, ampersand shirt now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, there are so many cool ones, though, that you can get. Like, have, have you seen the ones where the entire dragon ampersand is made out of dice? No. Oh, my God. <laughs> hashtag not a sponsor. <laughs> but, like, but hashtag could be a sponsor. If you want to send us some some D&D &D merch, some dragon ampersand shit, we will totally, like, tell people where to find that stuff. Like, I will mention it at the beginning, middle, and end of the podcast and, and put it in the description. I will sell out for your 
Yes. There we go. That's a new hashtag. Not a sponsor, but totally could be. <laughs> we'll totally sell out for you. Well, again, closing another one on the thought of everything we could have talked about and how this could be a podcast that went on for years and years and years with no end. Makes me sad, but also makes me happy that we still have plenty of games that we still have yet to play and that there are so many games out there. And just because of that, we will have years and years of podcast material that we could go on and on about. <laughs> this is this is why we're going to be the generation who's happy to be in the nursing home, because all we're going to do is sit in the nursing home with other nerds and play all the games we never got a chance to play. <laughs> That's right. That is right. But thank you very much for tuning in to another episode of Caster's Guild. We release new episodes on Monday. We are streaming on Twitch every other Sunday. Check us out on twitch.tv slash castersguild. And if you have any questions for us, any ideas for episodes, send us an email at castersguild at gmail.com, and we will answer your questions right on air. Yep. And then if you uh, wish to see me in anything outside of this podcast, you can feel free to look me up on probably any social media under Baron Kane, one word. Um, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. And uh, I have a lot of fun on TikTok. So if you wanted to check me out and then on any of those, I would be more than happy to see you there. Just let me know. Let me know if you're following me from this podcast, and I would be happy to follow you back. Check some uh, links in description. I'm sure we'll have some there. Thank you very much, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye, 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 bye. Bye. Go roll some dice or something. Bye. Bye. Bye, 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 bye.